Hey there, welcome to Life 2.0 Podcast, Veterans Day 2023 edition. Let's get to it. Skipping the usual introduction of going up the down staircase in the outdoor, making sense out of the senseless, and if at all possible, find the obvious buried in the absurd, I'm skipping all that. Actually, I just did it, didn't I? Anyway, I digress. It's a Veterans Day uh, edition of the Life 2.0 podcast, and um, it's very early here in the morning in Chicago, which you all know is not unusual for me. But what is unusual is I was a bit at a loss for words on what to do about this show. I'm a veteran myself of the United States Coast Guard, 1980 to 84, and then 84 to 86 in reserve. Uh, I'm very proud of the time that I spent in the service. Uh, probably the most underappreciated of the five military branches, that's for sure. We do so much more with so much less. And it w- I was uh, introduced last week to a group of veterans at a, uh, I, can't say, I guess you would call it a retirement home. There's so many different words for the facilities these days, but I was asked to speak at a pinning ceremony uh, for some veterans, and it's a very uh, important event where the veterans are recognized and pinned with a, which a, with a veteran's pin, uh, and this was done by the Allen Force organization. Uh, they do incredible work with, with veterans, and so uh, I was asked if I would you know say a few words there, and I've spoken all over the world, just about every kind of group you can imagine, from a couple of people in front of me at a stage that I rented in 19, gee, I don't even remember what year, 1998 maybe, uh, to, you know, 5,000 people in the Aspen music tent in Snowmass, Colorado. So there and here and everywhere in between, but I was getting a little uh, sweaty palms knowing I'd be talking to some some veterans that uh, had chewed some serious dirt at one time in their lives. And these were all gentlemen and women that were in their probably mid-80s, I would guess, uh, if not early 80s for sure. And it's, as it turned out, most of them had been in Korea. There were no Vietnam veterans there, but they were Korean War veterans. So uh, I was listening to their stories a little bit as they were introduced. They talked about where they had served and those type of things, and they were given a pin. And then I was asked to say a few things. And so I brought a prop with me. I brought the flight helmet that I had when I was in the Coast Guard. Uh, and, you know, when, when you're with mixed services, Army, Air Force, Marines, Navy, Coast Guard, um, you know, we all get a chance to kind of buck on each other and bust on each other a little bit, uh, and that's normal. Uh, but there's also underlying a great uh, respect, I think, and honor that we all have for each other because we did, all did something, while we may have been in different services, we all did something that was uh, common and that we all share, and that's we side a dotted line on a piece of paper and took an oath that says, if need be, you will die for your country. Not many careers ask you to do that. Certainly not the National Football League or baseball or any of the sports that get the big headlines. And on some ways, I'm glad they do the salute to service, uh, you know, with the NFL and things like that, because there should be more recognition of, of the role that uh, veterans have played and active military still, and of course, those who didn't come home. Uh, but there's also the other side of it that's so entangled now that's, I don't know, they get a lot of money out of the military for that stuff. Let's put it that way. But that's a whole different show. Anyway, I was there to give remarks to this group, and I did that the best I could and sat down and had lunch with these, these gentlemen and their wives afterwards and to hear you know, their stories. There was a couple guys in the Navy, 
and it's always the same. When a, when a guy raises his hand, he'll say, I, I was in the Navy. And of course I say, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. But anyway, um, what a great time with them. And once again, came away with thinking of these somewhat silent, disposable heroes. These are gentlemen who served a very long time ago, long before I was born. And yet they all have that still a bit of military bearing about them. There was one guy from the Marines in there. He was lieutenant, and uh, he had his, his cap on with his lieutenant bars on there. And, you know, he wore it proudly. And, and of course, as we all uh, represent our services in a, in a good way. So with all of that in mind, I started thinking about this show, and I, I was going to try and recreate some of that. I thought, well, that's not going to work um, because none of you were there. And I don't just want to bloviate, speculate, verbally defecate just to fill up time. Then uh, I thought about, you know, maybe some of the stuff that I've talked about with the guys that I served with. Uh, and I thought, I don't, I don't do that either. And then I, oh, wait a minute. Five years ago, I sat down with a hero of mine. He's my cousin. His name's Rich Hoffman. He is my grandmother's, grandmother's brother's son. Okay. And of course, they're long gone, but Rich is still here. He's 12 years older than I am. And he was in Vietnam. And I can clearly remember uh, having a map of, of, of Vietnam on the wall in my bedroom. And he would, you know, send me letters or cards whenever he could. And this had to be from like 67 to 69, somewhere in there. And I was so thrilled when I would get a letter from him. First of all, I knew that he was okay. And secondly, then I learned, you know, maybe just because you'll get a letter doesn't mean you're okay. It takes two months for a letter to get to the States from, from Vietnam. And uh, so anyway, the long and short of it was uh, I had sat down with him in 2018, pre-pandemic. I went over to his house and I sat with him and his wife, Marie, who's been his by his side for over 50 years. And we had a conversation and he talked about things he's never really talked about, or at least he and I had not talked about, and certainly not in public. So as I was thinking about this particular show today, I thought, if you didn't hear it, maybe you should, as did I. I I've listened to this already and made a couple edits here and there. But what I thought I would do the, to do justice to the Veterans Day idea and concept and honoring of our veterans was talk to the one who I really hold in the most esteem. Even though he's my cousin, we grew up, he's more like an older brother to me. It's, it's that kind of relationship. So um, that's what you get. You get a chance to spend a little bit of time with the Sarge, Rich Hoffman, and and uh, his experiences in Vietnam and after, and his thoughts on a lot of things that uh, that veterans think about. And so thanks to all my veteran brothers and sisters, even the ones in the Navy, <laughs> Army, Air Force, and of course the Marine Corps, and um, thank you for your service. I, did, I know this isn't easy for you, even though we know each other, I know this isn't easy, so I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, John, I appreciate that. And, uh... It's hard for me to believe that it's been, heck, over 50 years since uh, I was in Vietnam. And, uh, you know, some days I, I remember it like uh, I was there the day before. Mm. Other days, you know, you kind of try to sleep and something pops up and mm -hmm. uh, it just brings back memories, some good, some bad, and uh, just enough to uh, to bother you sometimes. Mm. So were you drafted? Did you sign up? Were you drafted? How did you How did you actually get into the Marines? No, what happened was uh, I graduated uh, in 1965, 
from Thule oh, High School. Doesn't even Thule exist High School anymore. Wildcats. <laughs> yeah, just you know, it just so happens I was the football captain, and yep. I'll be- believe it or not, uh, you know, back in those days, uh, no one really knew that much about Vietnam. You know, we never had anybody from high school graduated that you know was was actually mm-hmm. a casualty over there, or even went to Vietnam. And uh, you know, it, it was always kind of uh, on my mind about going into going into the service because. You know, my dad was in yes. World War II. He, yep. was a, he was actually, which I didn't really know until a couple of years ago, he was a combat engineer like mm. I was in Vietnam. Mm. And uh, my great, great, in fact, our great, great, That's great right. grandfather was in the Civil War. Right. I was just, we were just down at his grave. Yes, right. In Peoria. Yeah. And uh, believe it or not, you know, he, he enlisted in the Civil War at 56 years old. Yeah. 56 years old. And basically, I think the reason he uh, he enlisted was because at that time, if the father would enlist, his sons wouldn't have to That's go right. in. That's right. Now, for for a uh, a man fifty six years old, yeah, spending almost three four years marching up and down, you know, with the yeah. Union Army, unheard it's, of. It's it's really it's unbelievable. But uh, like I said, back in sixty five, you know, uh, I was in uh, you know Cub Scouts, Boy Scouts, you know, always brought up. My dad was a he was a a den leader, and mm-hmm. he was you know head of the Boy Scouts for our troop. And uh, always brought us, you know, to the to the mind that, you know, the, your country is number one. I mean, honor, honor, and, and respect, and and that pretty much stuck with me. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I said, after I graduated in '65, it was early '66, and you know, I had a chance to go to uh, to college and play football, but mm-hmm. it still bothered me now and then about maybe I really need to go into the military. Mm. And uh, it was uh, early spring, 19. Uh, 66, uh, I decided to go and enlist in the Marine Corps. I went in on the 120-day delay program back then. And uh, to be honest with you, when I went there to the recruiter, he could have put me, he could have put the papers in front of me for 28 years, I would have signed. Mm. But uh, luckily for <laughs> me, or unlucky for me, he had me sign up for three years. I could have signed up for two, but he put the yeah. three-year papers in there. Yeah. And I enlisted. It was 120 delay program, and he said, you know, he says, for 120 days, relax, take it easy, get your paperwork squared away. Right. You know, say hi to all the relatives, and then, you know, we're going to come and get you in 120 That's right. days. That's right. And uh, just so happens, uh, after I, I I did sign those papers, one of our uh, relatives, our, not our nearest relatives, but uh, one of their sons was uh, actually killed in Vietnam, and that was the first time mm. that I actually, you know, knew someone, because I, I knew this, this young man. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mother and my father and my brother, we went to the funeral, and it was mm-hmm. a big military mm-hmm. funeral. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm sitting there listening to this. They had the taps being blown in the in the rear, and I'm sitting there holding on to my little Eagle Globe and Anchor. You enlisted uh, in the Marine Corps pin. I'm going, man, this, this could be dangerous. Yeah, it was the first time, though, it kind of was the reality check. It was a reality check that, you know, people are actually being killed over there, and mm-hmm. it's especially if somebody that you knew. And uh, so it was like August of 66, uh, and like I said, for the first three months before I went in, didn't bother me too much. I was at a good time during the summer, hanging around, playing ball. And I have this memory of, and I think this is before you left. It's a long time ago. Yeah. We were living on Fletcher Street. Yes. And you and Bobby and Mickey and some of the other guys rented scooters. Do you remember this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. From we, like near Riverview somewhere? Yes, there was a place that rented scooters <laughs> right on Western Avenue by uh. Riverview. And about four of us rented them, and up and down Campbell oh Street, right? <laughs> we, in fact, one of them, we just came back in pieces because I don't know what happened. 
probably my brother. He probably did it. It's so. funny how you remember that stuff. I remember it was hot. Yeah. I remember yeah. that we were clean. You know, we lived there. We were cleaning the garage out. I can still see you guys zipping up and down the street. <laughs> so it was. It would have been August of '66, yes, somewhere in there. Right, oh August my gosh. of '66. Right, wow. and uh, like I said, uh, it was real. You know, for 120 days, you know, it was really nice until mm-hmm. I, I figured out they gave me a call and says. Uh, Hey, Rich, uh, you got to come in next week. Don't forget. Yeah. And I said, boy, you're right. I got to go in. Yeah. And uh, it was nice because uh, uh, John's father and, and mother on Fletcher Street, you know, yep. they had a little going away party for me there. Yeah. And uh, I don't I don't remember that. Oh, you probably, well, you were too young. <laughs> but I did, but I did realize that, you know, hey, they're coming to get me and I got to go. Yeah. And uh, I was, I was, uh Kind of excited about it. So and, did they uh, fly you to Camp Lejeune? Did you bus it? No, no. I actually I went to. Uh, I was supposed to go to MCRD, Marine Corps Recruit Depot, in San Diego. Yeah, yeah. That's where the Marines on this side of the uh, Every, it's, yeah of the Mississippi went. Right. And uh, it was strange because you know the day before I left, I got up early, you know, and my mother and father and I think my brother. I didn't even know if my brother even bothered coming down, but we went down to the airport you know and uh, kisses and hugs and shakes good luck you know I'll see you when you come back and mm-hmm. and they left and i'm just sitting there waiting waiting and there was two other uh, young guys from chicago that were going to be going with me to the uh, boot camp and i think about 4 or 5 hours later my mom and dad are at home and there's a knock on the door and they open the door and i'm standing there what and i said they said what are you doing here you know, are, are you are you running away <laughs> I says, no, I says, there's an airline strike, oh. and there's no planes available. Oh, they no says, kidding. come back tomorrow. So wow. here we had to go through this whole, you know, kissy face, yeah, huggy, yeah. bye-bye mom, and mom's crying, you know. Again. And so we go back downtown uh, to the airport, and uh, there's still a strike, but the government hired an entire jet for three of us. Three of us. To make this, sure you got to boot to camp. To make sure we got to boot camp in San Diego. Holy God. Now, this is the first time I've actually flown. I don't know yeah, what yeah. that is going on. So how old on. were you then when, when you got I was 18. 18 yeah, years so old. Yeah, so mm. we got on a plane, and heck, there was like I think there was like six stewardesses, you know, four four guys flying the plane, and just three of us. <laughs> it's so like a charter plane. It, it was unbelievable. We had this whole gigantic <laughs> plane to ourselves. And like I said, I'd never flown before, and they, they fed us pretty good food. And I think it was like three and a half, four hours later, we finally got to uh, San Diego, mm-hmm. and coming down, my ears popped. They got clogged. Yeah. And I've never, I've never, and it hurt like crazy. And yeah. So we landed, and sure enough, as soon as we landed, a drill instructor climbs up on the airport, up oh, on a plane, boy. and he's swearing and yelling. I can see him shaking his hands, and I can't hear anything. <laughs> I'm sitting there nodding, smiling. I'm going, hey, this is great. <laughs> Well, it wasn't great till he grabbed me. <laughs> yeah, right. Threw us off the off the airport, all, I mean, off the airplane, all three of us, and uh-huh. we had to stand out in front of the airport. By this time, there was all of these other guys from all other all over the country came and were standing in front of the airport. About eighty of us. Mm. Cars are going by and they're honking, and, and girls are coming by and waving. And mm-hmm. you know, I said, "What the heck is going on here?" And yeah. So, uh, finally, had uh, buses come haul us in and. Take us to uh, Marine Corps Recruit Depot in San Diego. And first thing we had to do is get off the bus and stand on the yellow footprints. Those yellow footprints. Those yellow footprints were terrifying because you didn't know what was going to happen. Mm. And uh, like I said, uh, boot camp was rough back then. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't like it like it is now. It's kind of politically correct now. Well, it, it's, it's well, politically correct is, is good. But when we, were, when we went in, a lot of the guys, half of the 80 guys that we had in our platoon... 
uh, had a choice of either jail or the Marine Corps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Marine Corps back then knew that most of the guys that were coming into boot camp were going to go to Vietnam, and yeah. probably a lot of them weren't going to come back. Yeah. And they were pretty rough on us. Yeah. I mean, they knew that if they weren't rough on us now, we weren't going we're to have a chance to yeah. survive there. Yeah. And uh, so, that, I mean, boot camp was good. It was uh, about 12 weeks. I remember, know, I think I still have a postcard you sent me you, of uh, of the, the pit or the water thing you had to go over, you know? Actually, it was probably maybe the punjies, the pun, Punj- uh, the Punjab. Yeah. Punjabs, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, like I said, it, uh, it, was, it was interesting. I mean, the first day, I mean, everybody, we're, we're in this big, huge, gigantic hut, about 3 in the morning, drilling stutter, slams the door shut. And we're all laying there, and all of a sudden, I hear a couple of guys actually crying. Yeah, I mean, I mean, these guys. I want my mommy. What am I yeah, doing here? Yeah. And uh, like I said, it, it was a, a long eight, twelve weeks. Uh, we had about four or five guys that actually never made it. A couple of them were actually you shipped them back out. Huh? No, they were actually uh, killed by accident and hand to hand combat training. Really. And the other guys actually uh, shot themselves in the rifle range rather than continue on. Doesn't make headlines, does it? Yeah, no, you, you never heard nothing like that. No. And there's no such thing as, uh, you know, oh, okay, I'm tired, I don't like it here, I want to yeah, go home. Yeah. Well, once you're in back then, you were in. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember it well, the day we graduated, you know, the drill instructors would uh, call you into the hut, and you would you would would they would ask they would ask you to sign a form that, you were not mistreated verbally, physically, mm. you know, and uh, wow, you were so happy to get out of there. You would have signed anything. Yeah, yeah, wow. So uh, that uh, it was good to get out. Just did you come out. home for a little bit, or before you actually, went? actually, no. What happened was you actually get out of boot camp. You had to go to infantry training mm. uh, for about another two or three weeks, and then you had to go to Camp Pendleton. Yeah, for advanced infantry training, and then they pretty much tell you what your job's going to be in the Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you first go in, you take an aptitude test, and that's all they do. They don't yep. tell you anything. Yep. And, but once you graduate from the uh, from Camp Pendleton, they put you in a big room, and they call your name out, and they say, you're going to be an old 311 infantryman. You're going to go to sea school. Mm. You're going to be a cook. Mm. Then he goes, Hoffman. <laughs> he says, you're going to be an engineer. I said, oh, man, great. I can't rate the, you know, Drive those trains. Little did I know, common engineer is demolitions, mines, and booby traps. And when I sent my letter home, my mom said, "Yeah, mom, I'm going to be an engineer." She thought the same thing. Oh, Rich is going to be driving trains for a yeah, living. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it really wasn't uh, like that, but I did yeah. get uh, 30 days home for leave. And heck, that was uh, just around Christmas time, uh, 1966, mm-hmm. and. Uh, 1967, I reported to Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, and uh, went to combat infantry school, which is basically, like I said, it uh, mm. demolitions, mines, and booby trap training. Mm. Mm. And uh, it was it was scary. I mean, they, they wanted you to learn because they knew if you got to Vietnam, you're going to have to know these things. And uh, basically, you know, nobody got hurt. You learned what you were supposed to do. You had a lot of mess duty, of course. And... Uh, we were all set to pretty much get shipped out, and for some reason that I, I can't even explain, we had 80 guys sitting out there dressed up in combat uniforms, ready to go, and our captain got out in front of everybody and said, and at that time I was a Lance Corporal. I actually got promoted. I was a Lance Corporal. Lance Corporal Hoffman, 
you know, fall out. I'm going, what the heck did I mm, do? I must mm. have did something. Yeah. Yeah, well, I was the only, for some reason or other, I was the only one of 80 guys that had a secret classification. And How'd I that had, happen? I have no idea what that meant. <laughs> all, I, all I know is that they transferred me to headquarters at Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, and I was going to sit in the goddamn office, and I was going to do Push secret, papers. secret and classification files. Wow. All the rest of my buddies are all yeah. heading down to Puerto Rico to run the Rock Crusher. I'm going, boy, I said, what, what did I do to deserve this? Yeah. And I actually, you know, for a year I was there, and I, it was okay. I knew it was a decent job, but the problem was every day I would get reports in from Vietnam, mainly for the engineers, how many were killed, how yeah, many were wounded, yeah. and they would send photographs and blah, 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 of, you know, missing guys, legs, arms, and for a year... uh it was it was hard for me to take. I actually decided to uh, join and play f- uh, football for Camp Lejeune. So I played football for Camp Lejeune that year, mm. and it finally got to be a point where I couldn't I couldn't take it anymore. And up on the board, they would always post jobs for Vietnam for combat engineers. Mm-hmm. Ten or fifteen of them, they couldn't fill them. And mm. I went in and told the uh, I told the gunny, I says, I'm going to take one of these jobs. Next thing I know, you know, they gave me a promotion. Sent me back home for two weeks, and uh, you know, after my two weeks, I was sent over to. They used to call it uh, Viet Cong School at uh, California and Pendleton to learn if you were captured. This is what's going to happen. This is how they're mm-hmm. going to treat you. And uh, next thing I know, I'm on a plane heading to Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, like I said, I, I was a corporal. I was a corporal, and I had a whole plane load of young recruits. Right. And these guys were in the plane, and they were going to end the war in a yeah, week, and they yeah. were screaming and yelling. And, you know, I'm sitting there going, what the heck is this? Yeah. And uh, we actually had a fuel in, uh, uh, refuel in Hawaii where 10 guys never got back on the plane. Wow. So rather than go to Vietnam, these out. guys decided to take off somewhere. But Wow. And then we, we uh, got back in a plane, and we were heading to Da Nang. And we got about 20 miles from Da Nang, and the pilot... You know, politely got on the thing and said, uh, we're going to shut the lights off and we're going to probably glide in because they're going to be looking for us coming in. And it was very quiet. You, I mean, you could hear a pin drop. And uh, we finally landed. The doors flung open. It was 140 degrees. And as soon as you walk off that plane, after an air conditioning plane, you were soaking wet. Yeah. So we had to get off the air, off the plane, went over and signed in, let us know what we're going to be doing, where we're going to be going. And they put us in a big, huge hut. And he says, tomorrow morning, he says, we're going to let you know where you guys are going to be going. Mm-hmm. Trouble is, we don't have any extra weapons to give you. What? what? So, no weapons. We have no extra weapons. So he says, if we do get hit, and you can go out, find a bunker, and if you can find a weapon laying around, grab it. And I'm going, what the heck is no going on here? No extra weapons? No extra weapons. Back then, they were pretty short on weapons and ammunition. Yeah. And I got to figure this was, uh, well, 1968. Yeah. And uh, it just so happens that that night the uh, the mortar attacked the uh, Da Nang airfield. And we don't know what was going on. We were like chickens with our heads cut off because we had no weapons. We couldn't right. do anything. Right. And in the morning, you know, we got up and they says, okay, you're going to be going this place. You're going to go in that place. And they sent me up to a 9th Engineer Battalion. 
in July 1st just to check in. And believe it or not, I checked in the, into July, and they said, listen, we have an opening in secret and classification files. Come on. Would you like to have that? Are you kidding? I swear to God. <laughs> and I says, you know what? I don't want any more of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so they sent me up north to, uh, it's, it's called LZ Baldy, mm-hmm. which was a, a, a airstrip up there. And that's where the 9th Engineers, uh, 1st Marine Division, were stationed. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we took a nice, uh, oh, about an hour and a half, two-hour ride by truck. And we still didn't have any weapons, by the way. Oh, we got up there to Hill 63, LZ Baldy, and, you know, they issued us at least a weapon. And uh, they assigned us to certain uh, uh, platoons. Mm-hmm. Well, for some reason or other, I got assigned to a real filthy platoon. These guys were... You know, they're not squared away. They didn't care. They were yeah, doing all yeah, kinds yeah. of stuff they shouldn't. Yeah. And uh, lucky for me, uh, I got transferred to a squared away unit. Mm-hmm. And the next day, uh, they transferred me and about, well, 12, 12 other uh, Marines to this base up in, uh, with the Korean Marines. Hmm. We were up with the Korean Marines uh, at Hoi En, Vietnam. And basically, our job was to do mine sweeps every morning, north and south on Highway 1, we ran about five miles north, five miles south, and then south on our, at the end of the south uh, uh, mine sweep, we were told to build a bridge over the Song Bryn River. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we, don't, we have never built a bridge in our life. <laughs> and I'm just standing But you're on an one, engineer, build a bridge, right? Yeah, I'm standing yeah. on one side of the river looking over there, and our lieutenant, who was a great guy, said, uh, Corporal Hoffman, he says, uh, you're construction foreman now, and you're going to put this bridge across the river. And I just said... Yes, sir, I am. <laughs> and uh, like I said, for, uh, geez, almost almost 10 months, you know, besides doing mine sweeps, mm-hmm. uh, we would spend time working on this bridge. And uh, like I said, after about, uh, after 10 months, we, we did finish that bridge. In fact, it was the longest non- I remember yeah. the article on yeah. that. Yeah, it was the longest non-steel stringered bridge in the history of the Marine Corps. Yeah. Built under combat conditions. Yeah, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, we lost a couple. We lost about four or five of our men. Yeah, uh, especially my corpsman. My corpsman, you know, was was very close to us. I mean, this is the guy that took care of you. If you had a problem, no matter what it was, he would take care of you. I remember that sometimes when you when you do the Facebook stuff where you send me notes and yeah. things. When you think of all the stuff that happened in Vietnam, he's always the guy that comes up first for you. He was the first guy, and I'm telling you, this guy would do anything for us. He was a a Navy corpsman, signed mm-hmm. to the Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. I mean, he took care of us. When we had to have our, our, our quarterly shots, Yeah. The, the bad one was the Gamma Goblin, which was nobody wanted that. It was just a, it was a huge hypodermic needle filled with this kind of like creamy fluid stuff, and he would shoot it into you. Mm-hmm. And you'd have to like run around or pat yourself on a button just to keep the thing going through. That's Jesus. how bad it was. But the guy was decent. Yeah. I had an ingrown toenail once from walking in, in the rice paddies. Mm-hmm. He actually cut the toenail out with a, with a scalpel. I had nothing wow. other than he had a little bit of uh, alcohol for me to take a swiv of. Yeah. And, you know, the guy was very compassionate wow. to us. And, uh, like I did, said. But he didn't make it. Well, that 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 is one thing that. I, I think I'll, I'll remember until the day I die because the guy was so good to us, and I really appreciated what he did for us. But uh, every day for almost 10 months, I would go on a minesweep. North north, north minesweep, south minesweep, and he would always be with me. we get done with a minesweep, he'd jump in a truck, I'd jump in with him. 
and for some reason or other, we, we went on a north mine sweep, finished it. Uh, check that. It was a south mine sweep down by the bridge. Mm. And we got all done with the mine sweep. We got off, and we were going to get back on the truck. And our lieutenant, great guy, I, I really love this guy, he told me and another Marine, he says, you, guys, you two guys stay back here, start working on the rest of the bridge, and we're going to go up north. Mm-hmm. Now, this guy, for he's never, for 10 months, asked me to stay back. Yeah. I've never missed the mine sweep. Huh. I've always been with my corpsman. Yeah. I always was right with him. Yeah. Well, sure enough, we, me and this other Marine stayed back, and these guys headed up for the north mine sweep. So it's the lieutenant and the corpsman went north? Yeah, the whole, everybody went everybody up north. Everybody but you two guys. Except me and this, this Lance Corporal. Yeah. And we're sitting there just doing a little piddly stuff on the bridge, and about, I don't know, 35, 40 minutes later, I hear an explosion off in the distance. And I can look north. I can see a big cloud of dark mm-hmm. smoke. Mm-hmm. I'm going, what the heck is this? I mean, we had no way to get up there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was carrying a, a 45, and I think I had an M79 grenade launcher. Mm-hmm. And we had a Jeep from our battalion down at Hill 63 come running up north, and he saw us, and I said, I said, what happened? He goes, your truck hit a landmine. And we jumped on the uh, Jeep, headed up there. By that time, the, uh, the helicopters came in and, and mm-hmm. took away three of them, and mm-hmm. like I said, our corpsman was one of them that was killed. Mm-hmm. And I would normally be sitting with him. What was his name? Kurt Duncan from Minnesota. Mm-hmm. I mean, this this really hurt me. This mm. hurt me so bad when they said he's gone, and uh, there was a, a village right next to the uh, explosion site, which was a schoolyard. The uh, VC actually planted a, about a fifty-pound mine in the schoolyard where the kids were, and our truck always turned around there. And sure enough, it so hit. So that's it. what it was. It was a fifty-pound mine, and in they the knew the, the villagers knew it was there. Didn't say nothing to us. Mm. And uh, I actually, you know, had my M79 grenade launcher, and I ran into the village, and I couldn't find anybody. I was looking for them, anybody. I was looking for anybody. And I went into some of the hooches, and I was kicking doors in, and the guys finally had to come and get me because I was I was looking just, just to yeah. pay back. Yeah, and there was nobody there. Everybody hid. They knew what happened. They knew it was there, and they took off. Mm-hmm. Well, this... Uh, I mean, this bothered me for a long time. I mean, I, my my corpsman was such a great guy, you know, and uh, not that you you want to purposely go out and look for revenge, but it always bothered you. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was the end of 69. We finished the bridge. I was almost a short time ready to go home, and uh, we were walking uh, a mine sweep, and I was out in the rice paddies, uh, and I was uh, dragging a, a hook looking for trip wires. Mm-hmm. And at the time, we had the... Uh, Marikel Division used to, from the Army used to walk security for us. Mm-hmm. And Army, nice guys, they had <laughs> no flak jackets. <laughs> they wore T-shirts, Jesus. baseball caps. Yeah. Now I'm sitting here with a helmet, flak jacket yeah. on. 60 pounds on you, right? You know, was, and I'm, yeah. I'm walking through the rice paddies, and I come to a, like, a little fence, and I turn around, and I told this guy, so whatever you do, don't touch the fence. So I put my foot over the fence, Got over, started walking, and I, as soon as I s- turned around to see if he was okay, I see him put his foot over the fence, and he sits down on the fence to kick the other foot over. Mm. And I just turned my head away, and boom, explosion. Mm. Blew us both up. Mm. 
So uh, anyway, like I said, I uh, I had all kinds of frag wounds. And so was that what? So what happened when that happened? Were you then? Did they get you out of there? And that was the well. Idea? What happened was after the. I mean, both my eardrums were blown. Yeah, I remember that. You know, I had my I had my elbow was like uh, the bone was sticking out of my arm, and yeah. my uh, my trousers were actually torn off, and my flag jacket was half blown off, and I kind of went back, and there was a big uh, a big hole in the ground, and he was laying in the bottom of it, and uh, he was bleeding all over the place, and I only had one bandage, and I wasn't sure where to put it, mm. so we. Uh, you know, we uh, on my rifle, I shot up in the air a few times, and the guys from the mine sweep finally came and, you know, pulled him out of there, mm-hmm. pulled me out of there. Uh, a chopper came in. We were taking fire. The uh, chopper came in. Uh, Army uh, medevac unit came in, threw him in, and they had me sitting in, inside the chopper, and they took off like a bat out of heck, but they were mm-hmm. t- at a real, real bad angle. Mm-hmm. As they took off, I started sledding out the chopper. No, oh. and I I was so weak from loss of blood, I could I could feel myself sliding out. And my feet started hanging over the outside of the chopper, and a door gunner just grabbed whatever was left of my flak jacket and pulled me back in. Mm. You know, and uh, so he got to a medevac unit, and uh, they came and took the uh, the guy from the army out of the stretcher, mm-hmm. and uh, they put me on the on the uh, side of the chopper as they took off. And they left me there. Yeah. So they took the other guy in. <laughs> helicopter takes off, and I'm they still took laying there. The army there. guy in. Yeah. And I'm, <laughs> and I'm still laying there, and I was really weak. I could hardly yeah. raise my arm. But about, about five minutes later, I see somebody come out of the damn hel- surgery thing there, and I'm reaching my hand up, and they go, "Hey, there's another guy here." They didn't know you were there. They didn't know I was there. Wow. So actually, they took uh took us in. They sewed us up the best they could, and then they medevaced us to uh, Da Nang. And uh, so, heck, I was in Da Nang for about a week. Mm-hmm. My platoon commander actually flew up uh, and spent three days with me, but I was unconscious. I didn't even mm. get know he was there. Mm. And uh, next thing you know, they sewed me up as best they could and uh, put me on a plane to Japan to recuperate. Mm-hmm. You know, so even though it was nice to go to Japan, you weren't allowed to go anywhere because of the protesters. Right, right, right. I mean, we had a bus ride from the airport to the hospital and protesters are all along the side of the road throwing stuff and so this is still 1969 1969 i'm going what the heck's going on here so uh like i said i spent about a month at the hospital in japan our whole ward matter of fact uh got orders to go back to the united states you know except hoffman where'd you go i went back to vietnam for the second time second time yeah I go, yeah, man, something ain't right here. You got yeah, 79 yeah. guys going home, and, <laughs> and here you're picking on Hoffman? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so I says, oh, this is, I said, well, I can't do nothing about it. I got orders to go back. So what they did was they shipped me to uh, Okinawa, and they put me in charge of uh, military police mm-hmm. for a week until they get, get a, a plane full of guys, to go new guys going back to Vietnam. I didn't like that job. I mean, they they wanted you to go and go to the, the club there and you know yeah, rouse, rouse guys these up. guys yeah. these these guys know they were going to vietnam and yeah you know, what are you going to do right so after about a week you know they got a plane load of guys and sure enough got back on the plane and i'm sitting in the back and all these new guys are doing the same thing that we did when we left yeah we're gonna get this war over in a week yeah you know i can't wait to get there and end it and they got the stu- it was a regular like a I can't remember United Airlines mm-hmm. and so they had stewardesses mm-hmm. and they were putting on pins on the on the stewardesses oh and my gosh. 
and they're all screaming and yelling, and I'm in the back of my head, just shaking my head, going, "They have no idea." Man, you guys don't know what's going to happen here. Yeah. And uh, so, like I said, back to Vietnam, and I uh, got off the plane. And I says, "You know what? Uh, let me send me back to my old unit." You know, I know the guys, I know the yeah, job. Yeah, and, yeah. And he says, "Yeah, <laughs> Corporal Hoffman says, uh, unfortunately, we need you up at Dong Ha, which is up at the DMZ, the worst place you could ever send a Marine." Yeah. And I says, "Are you sure?" Yeah, we need to, we're, we're losing. You need to get up there. Yeah. So I went up there and reported in there, and uh, it was a terrible place up there. Explain uh, to people what the DMZ is. That are, that that's don't a militarized zone. It's, yeah. a, it's like a line between north and south. Mm-hmm. On the other side of the line, you got the you know the North Vietnamese. Yeah. You could actually we had towers where you could go up there, mm-hmm. and you could look and you know with the um, and, and and see them training. Yeah. That's how bad it was. But you couldn't you do anything about it. Couldn't do nothing about it. Yeah. Nothing about it. Then. So I was there for a while, and uh, I didn't like it. It was terrible. And uh, one morning we got up for a mine sweep, and I couldn't move my upper torso or my right arm. They found out that my right arm and that was still dislocated and damaged. So they sent me to uh, to a hospital unit there to look at, and they says it's it's too bad. And he says, you know, you can't stay here. And the guy goes, where are you from? I said, Chicago. He goes, uh, you want to go to Great Lakes? And I said, am I there yet? <laughs> what kind of question is you that? Know? So yeah. I, I I went down to a Air Force base, and after about a week, they they shipped us, uh, you know, off of out of Vietnam, which was okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, our first place that we landed was Alaska mm. for refueling, mm-hmm. and it was only like thirteen degrees <laughs> from one hundred and forty. Yeah, and I'm <laughs> saying I don't really care. <laughs> so I got to, uh, you know, I got back to. Uh, Great Lakes, spent another two or three months there, uh, kind of recuperating, and they pretty much says, well, it's damaged, so damaged that even surgery is not going to help you. Yeah. But in the meantime, you know, I put my, my three years in. Yeah. And uh, was discharged from, from Great Lakes as a sergeant. And, uh, but they wouldn't let me leave the, they wouldn't let me leave Great Lakes to the front gate because of the protesters. How did you feel... I mean, if you rewind back, you're 18 years old. You, 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 you know, you think you got to do your duty. You, you go over there like a cowboy, and you come back because you realize it's not like that. And then you see these protests going on. How did you feel about that? You know, I didn't know what was going on. Number one, you know, where I was at in Vietnam, we don't know anything about you know Martin Luther King getting killed, Bobby yeah. Kennedy getting yeah, killed, yeah. the uh, the protests in Chicago's at 68 the, the, convention, the, yeah. You know, convention. We didn't know anything. They don't tell us any of that stuff. Yeah. You know, we were in the middle of nowhere, and uh, yeah. they, they didn't want to really tell you anything. And if you did get news, it was always two or three weeks late. Right. So uh, anyway, the, 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 the officer said, all I can do is uh, get you out the back gate, and you can ride on the back of the, uh, the garbage truck. Jesus. And what we'll do is I'll have the garbage truck drive you around and take you to the train station. I says, this is what I get? I get yeah. to ride a out of here on a garbage truck? Wow. Well, I did. I did that. And uh, like I said, by that time, well, you see, 18, 19, yeah. Like I says, I got home. Uh, and it really wasn't the same. I was in the uniform. And I can't remember. I stopped somewhere to get a drink, and the guy wouldn't re- refuse to serve me. He refused wow. to serve me. And uh, I didn't know anything of what was going on. Right. You know? Because you hadn't done anything wrong except for your duty. Yeah. You did and what you were supposed yeah, to do. Yeah, I couldn't understand it. Yeah. And uh, like I says, uh, you know, it, it was rough. It, w- it was rough for me to get out. 
I didn't know what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. The only training I had was demolition Blowing and shit stuff. Right. And I actually went. I went and looked for jobs at construction companies, and they were really interested until they found out I was in Vietnam. And they said, we're not going to let you touch any of our stuff, you really? Vietnam guy. Wow. So we can't trust you. I said, wow. So I, you know, for well, six months, you know, I went around, couldn't find anything. Nobody wanted to hire you. You know, my mom and dad said, you know, it's about time you got out of the house here. Yeah, so yeah, come yeah. on. I mean, yeah. And uh, how was it for them when you came back? Because they knew things had changed in just three years with all that went on well, you know and what? how people were treating you. How did they see that? You know what? My mother my mother was, I think, more compassionate than my father. Because my father, when he came back. Yeah, Jolly Charlie had already been through the grinder. Yeah, he knew well, it. He was, yeah. I mean, he was used to being the hero when he came, mm-hmm. you know. When he when he came back, you know, uh, flags and music right, and right, blah, different. blah, blah, you know. Yeah. And, and he told me, he goes, he says, this is how things are here. He says, nobody cares about you. Nobody cares about how you did or what you did. If you're going to be a hero, well, nobody really cares. Yeah. You know? I said, I said, well, I'm going to try and get a job, you know? And I went to, I can't remember, I think I went to Illinois Bell, and I couldn't, they wouldn't hire me because I was colorblind. They says, oh, you could, you, did, you could pick the colors out, but you can't pick, pass the colorblind test, so they didn't mm. hire me. So anyway, luckily, a friend of mine that was so in you the- So you had graduated, right, from Thule. Oh, yeah. But you didn't go to college, so you had a high school diploma, yeah. you went to Vietnam, and you're trying to find a job. Yeah. No good, no Nothing. good. So anyway, I said a good friend of mine that was in Camp Lejeune with me. Uh, he was a computer geek downtown. He called me up. He goes, Richie says we got an opening here for a computer operator trainee. Mm. Why don't you take it? You know, I said I don't know anything about computers. God, nobody knew about computers. Yeah, exactly. Nineteen what seventy yeah. something? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I went down there and they hired me right away. I had to go out and get a suit. Oh boy. And I can't remember where I went to uh, <laughs> the place on. on North Avenue, so I can't remember the uh, name. North of, Avenue. Uh, North Avenue, <laughs> and I got a suit, and it was, and it was, the suit was like brass or brass colored. Oh God! And it actually came with two pair of pants, <laughs> so I was happy. <laughs> Never had a suit like that before. Oh my God! And uh, took the job downtown, and uh, it wasn't bad. I learned I learned to use a computer, and uh, luckily they put a brand new computer system in called Burroughs, mm-hmm. and none of the computer operators wanted to learn it, but me. I learned to use this computer. Next thing I know, I. I Applied for a job at the Illinois Tollway because yeah, they I had a brand. That. They had a brand new Burroughs computer. Yeah, I ran it there, and then I learned learned uh, accounting and billing. And mm-hmm. next thing I know, uh, I'm a, a budget analyst for EPA for 28 years. Yeah, amazing, huh? But it bothered me. It still bothered me about my corpsman. Every yeah. I don't care. Every day, every night, I would think about this guy. Yeah. 28 years later, after Vietnam, uh, I couldn't take it no more, and I sent his parents a letter. And uh, I explained wow. to him who I was, uh, where I was with him, and that I was with him when he was killed. Yeah. And uh, I figured I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed to do it. Why? I, I, I didn't want to open up any wounds. For them or you? For them. For me, I wanted to, for 28 years, I wanted You're to do to this. Cl- yeah. You know, so I figured, well, I got this monkey off my back, but I didn't want to hurt them. Yeah. And uh, so I sent the letter off. And uh, it was probably Rich, twenty-eight years later. Twenty-eight years wow. later. Twenty-eight years later. That's a lot of years of shit going on yeah. between there. And wow. I mean, it bothered me every day for twenty-eight years. Wow. And uh, I think it was about a week and a half later, a letter came back from his mother and father. I could see the name and and the place in Minnesota. Well, the letter sat here for about a week. 
Didn't touch it. I couldn't touch it. I could wow. not look. I could, I could hardly look at it, let alone touch it. And uh, finally, I, I told Marie, my wife, I says, Marie says, would you open it up? Mm-hmm. I says, read it. And if it's something I don't want to hear, just get rid of it for me, will you? Mm-hmm. Well, she opens it up, and she starts reading it, and she starts crying. And... Uh, She said, you got to read this. Well, I read it, and they pretty much thanked me so much for contacting them that back then in the, uh, well, in the 60s, it used to be a fact where the Marine Corps would send somebody to your home that was with the person who was killed to explain. Well, they they couldn't afford it back then. They couldn't Mm -hmm. afford losing any any, uh, combat engineers, so they just had... Two young lieutenants go over to the door, said, I'm sorry, you know, for the President of the United States, you know, your son has been killed in action. Mm-hmm. They never knew what happened to him. Never knew what no happened de- to him. No details, no nothing. No details, no nothing. So at the end of the letter, they uh, asked me and Marie, my wife, if we would come up for a Memorial Day service. Oh, boy. Up to Minnesota that they have every year. And uh, I, I told them I'm coming up. Mm. And uh, that year, my wife and I, on Memorial Day, drove up there, met his mother and father, who were tremendous. And uh, since I was pretty much one of the last people to see their son alive, his mother would not let go of me. Oh, boy, Rich. From from the minute that she saw me, she held on to me. Mm. I mean, we were up there about eight or nine hours. Mm. Uh, and they thanked me so much for telling them, Mm. You know, what happened with their son, what a great, you know, corpsman he was and what he did for us. Mm-hmm. And uh, it it, uh, it was tough. It was, she would not let me go. You know, my wife says, you know, eventually we got to, we have to. I says, she won't let me go, Marie. 28 you know? years of waiting. Yeah. Wow. 28 years. And they thank me so much. For, and, their, and, her, and her father and mother both were. World War II veterans. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, the father was a, a combat pilot. Oh, wow. In World War II, and the mother was a nurse. Mm. Is and, that where uh, he became a corpsman because of her? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Uh, and uh, like I said, the whole family, you know, just thanked me for, number one, writing the letter, Yeah. coming up there, you know. And, and all those years you waited. All those years. I, I, I just, yeah. it just bothered me because I didn't want to open this up. I didn't want to yeah. say anything. That I shouldn't, but like I says, I, I've got it off my back. Yeah. I felt good doing it. And yeah. like I said, for years after, until they both passed away, I always got cards and letters from them. Wow. So. When you look back on that now, obviously, you're telling this story. It's like, you know, sometimes it takes years for that stuff to close. Does And, and you know, so as I have known you over my lifetime, I remember things like getting that stuff in the mail, those letters from you and and all that kind of stuff, watching kind of from this side of the fence and remember you coming home and all those different pieces. And the things that I always wondered about was that all that preparation that went into getting you ready to go to Vietnam, there was almost nothing, if nothing at all, for you when you got out. Right. No no reindoctrination, no, no. hey, how you doing, nothing? Nothing at all. Not a thing. Not a thing, just uh, here's your discharge, find a way home. Wow. But, there's, but the, 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 I think the... The saddest thing that that has happened because, like I said, I, w- I was so close to my corpsman, mm-hmm. and I should have been with him that day. Mm-hmm. You know, I should have been with him. Yeah, but then you might not be here. We were not well, having this the, conversation. The chances are 
I, I should have been killed with them. Do you feel regret for that? I do feel regret. And, and, and as strange as this sounds, I mean, it's like something out of uh, like a Rod Serling movie. Yeah, yeah. Okay? When I, uh, when I was with EPA and I had to go to Washington, uh, first time I went to the wall. Yeah. And uh, I went to the wall because I wanted to see my corpsman. Yeah. It was tough. I mean, I was, it was really emotional. I went to the, uh, they have a little tent set up there, and I says, I'm looking for my corpsman. Here's his name. You know, they found him. I says, well, he's on this panel, mm -hmm. this line. And he says, you know, the names are set up for the dates that they actually died. Mm -hmm. Okay, so he gave me the, wrote it down. Here's a pen and pencil if you wanted to write his name, you know, scrape his name. So I went over and I looked. Sure enough, I found his name sitting up there. And right below his name to the left was Richard Hoffman. What? Was Richard Hoffman. Now, I, I ran back over to the tent and I go, how could this, how could I be on the, on the wall if I'm here? He goes, well, I'm just telling you, they don't make mistakes. Is your name? I, I, so he goes over there with me. He looks at it. It was Richard Hoffman. It had, I think it had a different end, two ends to it. Same date. Killed the same day, same location. He was a corporal in the Marine Corps from Illinois. Come on. Wow. And I'm thinking, did God make a mistake here? Mm. Did, did God pick the wrong Hoffman that day and maybe I should have been there? And that really bothered me. Yeah. You know, that really bothered me a lot thinking, wow. Well, the odds of that are well, nothing. I said the odds the odds on that happening are just, I yeah. mean, to, to be in the same area the same day. From Illinois. Yeah, from Illinois and a corporal in the Marine Corps. So that bothered me. In fact, uh, I know when, the, when Nicole went to, to Washington a couple of years ago, she went there and looked at it too, and she made an etching, and she said, I can't believe your name's underneath there too. I said, well, that's not me because I'm here. Yeah, yeah. But I said it was, it, like I says, uh, Do you Let me just say, this is just, just popped yeah. in my head. I don't want to be too weird about this. Yeah. Do you ever feel like part of you died that day with him? I think, I should have, I think part of me should have died. Like, number one, you know, when I got wounded in January 69, you know, I did, I did, I did leave some of my parts there. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I'm yeah. thinking, well, maybe that's what I should have done, Yeah. you know, to make up for not being with him that day. I mean to be with this guy all the all every all day, time. all the time, and not being with him that one time—it's just, uh, you know, it hurt. I still yeah. think about him every day. Yeah. You know, I still think about him every single day, and uh, you know, you, you always wonder. He says, you know, did God pick the wrong Hoffman that yeah, day? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. You know? Wow. So, uh, but like I says, I got back. You know, married. Uh, you know, a great the bird. Woman. Yeah, I married the <laughs> bird. You know, it's going to be forty-eight years. Yeah. Uh, a great son, Derek. Absolutely. Born on the Marine Corps birthday tomorrow. No mistake there. No mistake Hoorah. there. Oh yeah. <laughs> I told I told Maria says I wanted three eight hours of labor to make sure he makes it. So uh, she, she at least a, three hours. She did a great job. She hung, she hung in there. Yeah. And uh, like I said, the uh, and then Nicole. Nicole, yeah. Who's, who's I don't even know what, what how you well, how, what you do with that. I always I always well actually I always tease her and I say. Nicole, you're the son I always wanted. <laughs> she is daredevil. She, she is. does anything and everything yeah. from axe throwing to uh, she. <laughs> Listen, 
She did last the, year. There was something she put on Facebook yeah. like, "I can't make axe throwing tonight. Anybody want to take my place?" Exactly. Like, wait, wait, what? Yeah, she joined an axe axe throwing league. She already graduated from I think roller derby school. Oh my god, clown school. Yeah. She went to clown school for the circus and trapeze. Mm. I mean, she does everything, you yeah. know, and uh, like yeah. I said, I always tease her. I says, yeah, you're the son I always wanted, you know. Well, you know, you look at this stuff, and, and and then over the years, you know, obviously, however that works out, that he's gone and you're not, and that the odds of that name being there are yeah. infinitesimal. But you look at your life since then, and, you know, I, and you're still dealing with stuff mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, it doesn't. It's, and I've said this a million times when I write books and get out and talk to people. You know, the, the real cost of war is not on a spreadsheet. It's it's in these conversations. Yes. Yeah. And when I go to the VA, I look around and I just shake my head and I go, you're treating decades worth of stuff here that will, it's gonna keep, it doesn't get any quicker. Right. It doesn't get any less. It just yes. keeps increasing. So you're stealing. One of the challenges that a lot of guys that were in Vietnam are up against is Agent Orange. You're still dealing. Yeah. This is this is something that you have to worry about. Yeah, Agent Orange, unfortunately, you know, it, it's doing a number on me. It's already did a number on two of my other brothers, and uh, I mean, there's there's, I mean, there's there's nothing you can really do except hang it and, and take it, and hopefully, mm. you know, do the best you can. Mm. What about the? And again, I said and just full disclosure. This would be a whole lot, hell of a lot easier if I didn't know you. I could push and push and push. I'm not going to do that because I don't know that that's what's important. But what what I'm hoping people get when they listen to this is, you know, PTSD is a real thing. I And you talk about delayed reactions on stuff that happened 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago yeah. for, for people, whether it's Afghanistan, Iraq, whatever. Um, and, and dealing with these things as you've gotten older hasn't gotten any easier. Hasn't gotten any easier. Like I said, uh, every, every, except for this year. Every year for the last 10 years, I would go to Brookfield Riverside High School and talk to the kids there about Vietnam. And what was the response when you talk about this? You know stuff? what? The, the the kids were actually, you know, very thankful that you know, we went there and talked because half of them didn't even know yeah. what was going on with Vietnam. If you if you open a history book, you know, it's there's not much there. You right. got to really dig and you don't get the gist of it. Yeah. So yeah, you're exactly. like living history. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, the kids enjoyed, you know, listening and talking and, you know, feedback. A lot of them says, you know, I'm thinking of joining the Marine Corps. How do you feel about that? Yeah. It's tough for me to say, yeah, go on and join the Marine Corps. Yeah. You never know where you're going to be. Yeah. You know, I says, you got to make sure you take care of yourself and make the, you know, the best decision you can. Yeah. But I, 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 I like I said, this year I, I miss it because I just couldn't make it. Yeah. But there usually have maybe 75 or 80 veterans showing up for that. And there were times when a couple of veterans were in a corner and they were breaking down. Yeah. Because, number one, it's emotional to see a lot of your fellow veterans there, men and women, yeah. getting together. You go into the gymnasium, and you've got a couple of hundred kids there, and they stand up and salute you. Oh, boy. You know? I mean, it makes you feel good. Yeah. You it's know? the stuff you didn't get in 69 exactly. and 70, right. right? Yeah. In fact, yeah. I was watching the Hawks last night, Blackhawks. Yeah. yeah. They had uh, 50 veterans on the ice. And you've been on the ice. I've been on the ice. I've been Yeah, I've been down there for, for the Blackhawks, and yeah. it was really emotional, but they actually had 50... Uh, Veterans on the ice last night to celebrate, well, celebrate 50 years from Vietnam. When you look back and, and how it was when you came out as opposed to this, this uh, I don't know, delayed thank you, you're good with that? You know what? I, I actually, uh, me and my uh, my fellow brother Tom, we, we did march in the 
Vietnam Veterans Day parade that they had here. Thank you, parade. Yeah. Years ago, we actually yeah. did march. Yeah. And uh, we both swore that only three of us were going to show up. Right. And they had thousands. Thousands. Thousands and thousands. thousands. So. Wow. Yeah. Looking back on all the pieces of uh, of how this stuff kind of lines up, uh, and you 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 know, everybody can celebrate it in any way that they want. You know, you, you we were joking earlier on the phone. You're going out to get a free donut or something, yep. and there's a place by me that gives free chicken. Yes. You know. Yeah. So on one hand, that's fine, but the first time when I went to the VA, or I don't even remember where it happened. No, it was even years and years ago. I was in a veterans parade, and somebody, a fellow vet, came up and said, "Welcome home." I didn't even understand. I didn't deserve that. I didn't go anywhere. I didn't really do those things. You know, I didn't go. I didn't have to go to Vietnam. You guys took care of that stuff. And when I go to the VA now, and I see how closely connected, doesn't matter what service you were in, right. doesn't matter when you served. Yep. There's like a, a brotherhood and a sisterhood there that's such a closed. I can't even explain it. And so just today, I was at Jewel, and I'm checking out. And there's a guy wearing a Marine Corps hat, and we just looked at each other, kind of nodded. And I'm like, that's the kind of thing that I think is the best of what America's about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you see all the shit that's going on and how things are, are, are turned upside down and you fought for the right for us to even show all this, how do you feel about all that? Well, you know what? It, seeing a vet anywhere, I mean, I'll come up. I don't care where I'm at. I'll go over there and say, thank you for your service. I don't care what, what branch it was, whether it was on active service or what have you. And they're always thankful. If I get a chance, I'll. If I see somebody in line ahead of me, I don't know if it's Dunkin' Donuts or anywhere, and I see it's a veteran in front of me, I'll pop for them. I'll yep. tell them, "Listen, yep. put yep. it on me." And I've had them do it to me too. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, and, the, and the thing is, it's respect. Not that yeah, I don't need to, you know, have it because they right. ain't got no money. Right. But like I says, the veterans are going to stick together no matter what. Yeah. You know, and it, 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 it's good. It's really good to have veterans with veterans. Yeah. You know, so and like yeah. I said. I always thank you for your service. Yeah, you know, I know you do, and I yeah. and I and I look at it, and you know, I think that's the humble part of it. I, you know, I ran into a guy who was in the Coast Guard at the VA over there, and he was one of the river rats. They were running those nineteen foot patrol oh, boats yeah. made out of spit and Kleenex. Yeah, running you guys where they needed to go. He goes, I've lost six crews. He's dealing with Agent Orange. Yeah, so you know, it doesn't matter. The Air Force, Uncle Mickey, all the everybody did their oh, yeah. part and, right. and, and their piece. Let me just finish with this because this is the thing—the only thing in all the years that I, I did my time and then try to represent afterwards. Last year we were at the Sox game, and the national anthem came on, and of course I stood up and I had my hat on and 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 I saluted, did the whole thing, and I'm and, and you know you can do whatever you want to do, and right across from the aisle from me these two young people didn't stand up, and I thought okay, and and I'm like okay, just let that go, doesn't really matter. Yeah. So I let that be. And about the third or fourth inning, they brought a vet out who had served, and they kind of do a you know salute to service kind of thing. And I know that a lot of that stuff's paid for, and I really don't give a shit, but it's nice to have that done. Yeah. And they didn't stand up again, and that was enough for me. And I kind of just leaned over, and I said, you know, I know if you don't want to stand up for the American flag, that's fine. Mm-hmm. That's your right. But this this man here, yeah. put he signed a piece of paper that said he would give his life so you could sit. Could you stand for him? And and the woman, the girl, they were, I think they were playing Oakland, so they're from California or whatever. Yeah. And they're like, you know, don't, don't get involved with this guy. He's, he's crazy. I'm like, I'm not crazy. I just want to know why you're not. Yeah. Don't want to stand for this flag? Fine. This, but it's not standing for a veteran? Right. Don't get it. How do you feel about that? It happens. It happens all the time. And, uh, like, and I've, already, I've, I've already come up to, 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 to guys and saying, you know, can you at least stand up or take your hat off? Yeah. 
and uh, they wanted. They said, "Well, why? Why should I?" You know. So I mean, I mean, you're gonna have people out there yeah. that you know, ignorant or, you know. But like I says, veterans have to be given a little bit of respect. They're, they don't. We don't ask for much. Yeah. Except for donuts on Sunday <laughs> at Dunkin' Donuts. Remember? So, you know. And yeah. then uh, I can't remember. Is that uh, one of the pizza places too? You can get a free uh, a pizza and a drink too. And that's good enough. That's good enough. We don't ask for much. You know, <laughs> a little chow. You know, we're happy. But yeah. uh, like I said, when you know when, when I when I went to uh, to the wall in Vietnam that first time and. You know, I was just standing around looking. There's a lot of names on there, 55,000, over 50,000 names. Yeah. You look at that and you say, wow. Yeah. And they had, you know, the classes, with buses would pull up with kids. Yep. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm standing there, and a class, a, a busload of girls got off. And I think they were probably about eight or nine years old, and they're all standing up there looking. Mm. And all of a sudden, they start crying. Mm. I mean, they're bawling, you know. And I'm behind them, and I'm, I'm feeling kind of sad, too. And I said, excuse me, I said, do you know somebody up on the wall? And she says, no. I says, well, what are you crying for? She goes, look look at these names. Look at, look at all the names of these veterans. You know? She says, I had to cry. Hmm. You know? I mean, it's just a bunch of kids, wow. you know, who don't know anything about Vietnam or blah, 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 but they can see 50-something thousand names on the wall, and, yeah. you know, it hurts. It does hurt, yeah. Hmm. So the last question is this: Is like um, I, I ask people this all the time, no matter who I'm interviewing, and and uh, I don't even know if there's a there's no right answer here. But is there a big aha for you after all this? Fifty years ago, Vietnam, you know, you went in this this blonde haired, bright eyed kid who was gonna, you know, do serve his country, and 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 you did that twice, and you paid for it on a lot of ways. You're still paying it for a lot of ways, uh, dealing with PTSD and the pain in your body. You can't have surgeries anymore. You know, you, I've, every time I call you, there's some other shit you're going on because it's stuff, it's just, you know, like uh, compound interests of the worst kind. So you look back on all this, your experience with it and being a Marine and serving the country and how this has all been. Can you sort out any big ahas, any big lessons for yourself that have kind of come forth? Well, I'll tell you, I, I, do, I do feel like I'm really lucky. I mean, I got a great wife. I got a son and a daughter. I got a grandson. That's right. You know? I yeah. got a grandson, Logan, now. You were here to see that. You know? I've been, I've been I've been trying to write down memories of Vietnam and blah blah blah. You know, when he gets older, I want him to read this stuff and say, "Hey, Grandpa wasn't that much of a bum." Mm-hmm. You know, he may have looked like a bum and treated me like rough, but you know, this is what he did, and that's yeah. what I, you know. Fortunate, I'm fortunate to be here. As you know, as, as sometimes as rough as you feel and terrible as you feel, as many times you got to run back and forth to the VA for stuff. You know, I'm here. You know, and I did the best I can, supported my family, took care of them the best I can. You know, I, I still got, you know, my relatives like you, you know, mm-hmm. that I keep in touch with, and that means a lot. Yep. So. Well, Sarge, thanks for your service, and happy Veterans Day, brother. Semper Paratus, my brother. Semper Fi. And so when I look at the entirety of this conversation that I've had in this, there's a lot in here. It makes me visibly angry. I'm really kind of putting a bit in my mouth, realizing that Vietnam solved nothing except to erect a wall with a lot of names on it. And it caused a lot of heartache and pain. And there are veterans who are dealing with that to this day, like my cousin. And so when I see how life can be, I often wonder why we don't spend more time heading in that direction. The political climate these days, all that's going on in the world, 
we are so much better than this, and yet I still struggle sometimes to wonder why we're not. And as a veteran, I try to run everything through the general orders I've learned or, or the discipline I have and say, why is it that we can't get further along the line if we, we have this great country that was built on the backs and the bodies of the men and women who served our nation? This is as good as we can do. And so with all that in mind, I, I do a, a snap salute to the Sarge, Rich Hoffman, and, and I honor It's not even the right word. I don't have a word for what he did and what those men did in Vietnam. I think of, uh, of all my friends that are veterans, and I, and I say thank you. Safe travels. Thanks for listening. Adios.